I'm Rosie Matteo, and welcome to From Pot to Popular, a new podcast where we interview the media, marketers, and moguls who are mainstreaming cannabis. Welcome to From Pot to Popular, our new podcast. We're super excited for our guest today. Carson Umison is founder and CEO of Banks, a top recruiting platform for the cannabis space. I'm going to let Carson introduce herself, but she's a longtime client. We're really excited to have her here today. So welcome, Carson. Thank you, Rosie. Always great to connect with you. You've already said I'm Carson Humiston, the founder and CEO of Banks, which is the cannabis industry's hiring platform. We actually just celebrated, I think, this or two weeks ago, our fourth birthday. So we've been around the block for, for four years, connecting people into full-time jobs and temporary jobs in the cannabis space. And it's, it's really been a pleasure working with you and, and your group over the last couple of years. Yeah, it, it's been really fun working with you guys and, and it's been fun to be part of your growth. But I want to talk a little bit about like how you actually got into this space. So you, I believe, founded a travel company while you were still in college, and then you started banks shortly after graduation. Where did you get your entrepreneurial spirit from? Like, where did, were your parents entrepreneurs? Talk to me about like how you really like decided to take the leap to start a company. Sure. Yeah, my dad is an entrepreneur. He when he graduated from college, his grandfather loaned him two thousand dollars, and he bought a tanning bed and put the tanning bed. This is uh, like the eighties, and he he put the tanning bed in the basement of a in the basement somewhere, and there was a line around the door, and you know the next thing you knew, he had uh, fifty tanning salons around Western New York, uh, all with you know fifty beds at a time. They moved spray tan, they did lotion, they did all this kind of stuff, and you know he started it with in a basement with a loan from two thousand dollars from his grandfather, and so growing up with that, right, opening stores and launching new lotions and being part of the entire experience, I was always really just sort of inspired. And he just always said, like, why would you work for someone else? Like, why would you go build someone else's dream when you can build your own? And so I liked that mentality. And I, so that's definitely where I got it from. But it, it's interesting because my siblings who, who right, grew up with the same parents, they're far less entrepreneurial. So I always think that I think it's probably like 80% DNA and then 20% around based on the people that you're around. And so when I was younger, I would I'd go around, like we lived on a golf course and I would go around the golf course and pick up golf balls and clean the golf balls and then try to sell them to the golfers. And so I was always doing little mini businesses and feel like my whole life I've been trying to start a business. And so I'm glad that I have one that is working. Yeah. I mean, and you guys have definitely established yourself as, you know, the gold standard in the space and one that's always top of mind. And you said you started when you were, you know, a child doing this and you're also one of the youngest founders in the space. I know we don't always like to talk about this, but it always comes up. Do you think that's been challenging or do you think it's been beneficial to you while growing your business that, you know, you started out of college, um, you know, and, and being a young founder? So in the beginning, I would get a little bit frustrated by the press around like, meet the 24 year old that started a pot hiring company because I felt like there was so much more to what we were doing than than my age. So I, I used to be frustrated by it. But looking back on it, like, I think you would probably say this anything that it takes to get a great media placement is worth it because right, that drove candidates to know about our, our platform. And so if that was the headline that was needed in order to put us on the radar so be it, it, it worked. But I would say that it has been an advantage in the sense of, I don't think about ways that people with a lot more experience might. And so staffing, for example, the old school staffing way is not to go out and 
build a technology company, right? Staffing in generally, general is not a VC-backed company, but because we had an idea to automate a lot of the like recruiting time and to automate the process of going to a gig and clocking in and out of the gig and finding the gig. And, and we were able to build a, um, a technology business. And so I think if you were, if I had, you know, been in staffing for 15 years, I think, oh, that would never work, right? You need 9,000 recruiters to build this type of business. So I, I think like thinking about it from a fresh lens has been helpful for us. A hundred percent. And also, I, I think, do you think your perception of the cannabis industry was different? Like when you got started, like taking that leap was a different decision for you? Like what were your perceptions of, of the industry like before you got started, or before you you founded the company? I thought it was a great opportunity just because it was like, it was like an open field, right? Nobody really knew what they were doing. And so it wasn't like, oh, I'm jumping into this really established industry where everyone knows what they were doing. It didn't really matter as much my age because it's not like anybody had experience building the federally illegal industry. And so I thought I can do this just as well as an expert. And so why not? Right. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that we're all starting from not, we're all building this from scratch. And while I think there's certain experiences that maybe help people, there's nobody, I always say to our team, there's nobody on the planet who says I built a hiring marketplace for the federally illegal cannabis industry until us. And so there's not really a playbook to go out and say, oh, you know, we should be the act for the cannabis industry. Like, no, we should be the banks for the cannabis industry and, and do it our own way because there, there's really nobody that's done this before. So yeah, I mean, to your point, I, I guess, I think, I've, I think I've kind of answered the question. Yeah, I know. I think you did. <laughs> and also you founded it um, like when it was really in the early stages that like you've been at this for a few years. So what are the shifts that you've seen like in hiring practices and employment trends? You've been doing this for a long time. Like how have things changed like since the beginning? I mean, there were some jokesters out there. I mean, there's still jokesters out there, but the level of professionalism, I mean, it is getting much better, right? There are more legitimate, better operators. There are the bad actors. We're seeing them start to go out of business, which is great. And we're seeing the legitimate players really, really prioritize hiring great talent, which was not always the case. Like to your point about not really no not really having a ton of prior experience. When I got into this industry, I just thought, is this how the world works? You know, you you go into a like a dispensary or something. Clearly, they're they're breaking rules. It's like a mom and dad and like a a cousin and aunt, and it's just the whole thing is they don't have an invoicing system. I mean, it just was such the wild west when I started that I was always really just surprised that these types of um, individuals were able to stay in business. And over the course of time. I guess like the chaotic, the clients that were always going through some type of chaos, some type of drama, some type of illegitimate something happening, they've started to sort of go out of business. And the more professional people with legitimate plans and a legitimate strategy and a legitimate management team uh, have started to emerge. And so it's been refreshing to see it move from wild west to more legitimate business. Right. And, and I have to say, so you're celebrating your fourth anniversary and you guys, you know, have innovated many times over. So how has the platform really changed since I know you, you launched as Graduana and now mm-hmm. you're banks four years later. Um, how have you guys really changed to accommodate like the change of the industry now that it's become more professionalism? What are the shifts you guys have had to make in your business to really support the way the industry is growing? Great question. And that's been the, the story of banks. And I think that's the reason why, right, like the industry has been changing so quickly. And we've been, you know, we have our ear to the ground. We're in very close communication with our clients. And so we're able to change with them. And so in the beginning, right, I saw people needed really just interns and entry level people, which was where where Graduana came from. And we quickly realized that 
you know, a little time in that, that they needed more experienced professionals and maybe graduana was the wrong phrase. Also, there's many clients who needed entry level staff who didn't need to go to college. And so we didn't want to, we didn't want the name to exclude people who maybe don't have a college degree, but would be great working in a retail location or a cultivation facility and clients would welcome them. And so we moved into, into banks and for a little while we were just doing direct hire permanent placements. And we, about two years in, started hearing clients, we really need temporary labor. We need trimmers for 10 days. We need a bud tender in an hour. And we need a platform to connect with these folks fast. We need people who are screened, badged, ready to work, can come in, get the job done and come out. And so that's where we got the idea for Bank Gigs. And we launched Bank Gigs, which is now live in five markets. And the clients were really happy with the speed of which they were able to connect with the clients and the quality or the, with the candidates and the quality of the candidates, right? The candidates are screened by us. We verify their badge. There's a lot of steps. And so they it, it filters out a lot of the noise that you may get on another job board. And so with that, the client said, this is a great way to hire temporary employees. We have a lot of needs on the full-time side as well, right? We, we Not only do we need temporary bud tenders, we need full-time bud tenders. And so we said, okay, the next iteration of the platform, we want to have clients be able to hire temporary employees and full-time employees. And so really how the business has evolved is just us addressing other needs. And so when I when I think about the cannabis hiring landscape, I, you know, I think there's the top 10% of the industry, which are the high level senior executives. And that's perfect for our direct hire search. You need a recruiter to go out and really search through their network, do extensive interviewing, background checking, culture checking, personality tests. And that's, that's a perfect solution for that top 10%. Then the, the lower 10% is the gigs, the on-demand, the temporary stuff. And then the middle 80% is all the entry to management level roles that don't necessarily require a full-time a recruiter. And customers don't want to pay 20, 30% of annual salary for that role, but it's also not a temporary job. And so that's the middle 80% is where the new version of our platform is addressing. We just launched on 420 and um, yeah, we've seen a lot of success and a lot of matches so far. And that's great. And I, and I like the approach you're taking this mix of both like, you know, the high touch, but also using technology. You're working in an industry that's born, you know, in the technology era, right? So there's so many of those practices you can bring. And so I think that brings us to our next question. So like, what recruiting practices that are unique to Canvas or what you guys have built do you think other mainstream industries could benefit from utilizing? I feel like a lot of like legacy industries learn from some of your practices. So what are the things you see like are, are the maybe the fails or the ways that they could be improving? Well, I think really thinking through what the role is that you need to hire for. And so I think a lot of times people think, okay, I just started, let's just say that you started a, I don't know, a, a product, like a product line, chalk the product line. You've got the product and now you need to sell the product. And so the first thing they think is, okay, great, we need to hire a salesperson. Let's, that'll be easy. Let's go out and hire a salesperson versus really thinking through what is required of that role. And so, okay, what are the company goals? how many shelves do we want to get this chocolate into? Is there a certain type of dispensary that we want to get this into? Okay, so now we figured that out. Now, how is this person going to go about doing that? Are they going to be working with marketing or is it going to be more of a door-to-door effort where they're cold calling and setting up demos? If they're setting up demos, what type of tools do they need? And so like really thinking through like what is this person's goals and how are they going to hit their goals? And so you can build a clear job description of this is what success looks like and this is how we think a person will reach success. And so you can go out and find people and like clearly explain to them, this is what the job is. This is what success looks like. And here's 
in our opinion, the best way to find success. I think like so many times companies like we need to hire a salesperson and it's so unclear what their goals are, what they're going to be doing on the day-to-day, what tools they're going to have to do their job. And so really like thinking through what is the role and outcome we want to get from every single role we hire. That's where we've seen our clients go wrong. Yeah. And then also, I think that's a really good point. I think you touched on something that makes you guys unique in terms of like targeting and really thinking about like who you're speaking to. And just to shift on that, you guys have also been able to raise capital from some mainstream venture capitalists, like in from technology and other industries. So I have to think that has to do with you pinpointing or really finding a value proposition or telling your story. Can you talk to us a little bit about what it was like to go out and raise money and go to some of these other VCs that maybe hadn't traditionally invested in cannabis? And what was like your pitch then to show them that this was a viable industry and why they should you know, invest in a, in a recruiting platform specific for the industry? Talk to us about those conversations and how you went about doing it. Because I think a lot of people listening um, look to people like banks who have been able to you know, raise capital successfully and want to know how they can do it too. Sure. So we did not raise capital for the first two years. So when we, it was, uh, we raised capital in March of 2018, we raised our seed round, which Lara Hippo led our round. They're not a cannabis specific fund. However, they had already been lead investors in LeafLink. Another, I think LeafLink is a client of yours as well. They had already been, yes, we do too. They had already been investors in LeafLink. And so we weren't there first cannabis investment, but they knew about the space. And actually, Ryan Smith, the founder of LeafLink, introduced me to Andrea, who works for Lair Hippo. And that's how the introduction was made. And in, in, in terms of the process, it was a great process. I explained what we had done so far and what we were looking to do. And they had been invested in some other hiring marketplaces. And so they understood the, the hiring market landscape. And you know, I think in the seed phase, it's really about being able to form a great relationship. And so we were out of the gate. It was very clear, in my opinion, at least, these would be amazing partners to have on our cap table early on. They were not cannabis-specific investors. They had a ton of operational experience in terms of growing and scaling technology companies. And we got along really well, and it felt like we would be great partners. And so that's how the, the, the process went. And were there defining moments? Like, was this one of them that made you realize that cannabis was being accepted as more of a mainstream industry? Like, was it when you got that investment from like a mainstream VC or was there like a conference or, or a, an account you guys won where you felt like, wow, or even maybe a, like a candidate made you realize that this is more mainstream. I have to imagine that early on, the type of candidate you got might be a little different than what you're getting now. Are you seeing like more professionals from other industries come in? Talk to us about like the shifting landscape of who's coming in the space and some of those defining moments you realize you guys had hit something really big here. Yeah, I definitely think when we raised our seed round, that was a very validating moment for myself and the team. Our seed round was two and a half million dollars. And I remember I we closed the round on a Friday and on Monday at the end of the day after work, I was getting my hair cut. And I figured I didn't know how long people took to to wire the funds. I thought maybe it was like a net 30 deal, but I, I pulled up my bank account in this haircut and the wire from Lair Hippo and Costa Verde had hit. And I was like, basically almost dropped my phone because I just thought, oh my gosh, now we're going to be able to build out this platform. We're going to be able to launch new space. Like we're going to be able to do all these things, like basically let's fucking go. And so that was like a, a, a very like validating moment in my mind because we had the capital to really start hitting the gas, building the team out, building the product and going. And so of course that was a validating moment, moment. but leading up to that, there were a lot of things along the way. I remember in 2017, in July of 2017, 
team was probably about 12 people, maybe 15. And we hosted a career fair in, in Colorado and all the news channels came. So CNN came, like the local Fox News came, a, a, like a Denver, a couple Denver like media outlets came and people were calling it the world's largest cannabis career fair. And there, and there was like a helicopter that flew over and there was like this line, like all the way around this place, Mile High Station. And we had like 50 companies with booths set up and we had just soft launched Banksters, which was the first version of the platform. And so every candidate was signing up. And for the team, it was, it was me and the team. And it was all like a bunch of people who were like literally probably under, like everyone was like 25. And we just all felt like, holy shit, this is crazy how many people want jobs in this industry and how many people are hiring in this industry and that we pulled this event off. Because, you know, of course, the night before, like there was something wrong with the venue. There was something wrong with our, like, our ticketing system, the platform was breaking, like everything chaos and that it all coming together and pulling it off and it being a success. And I remember that night, the team and I were like out to drinks afterwards, just like, oh my God, guys, this is going to be so big. So those are two moments that I can think of. I have a chill hearing that because, you know, <laughs> everyone, especially someone who's, who's done events, like you always have that like nervousness, like what if nobody shows up and like your proof of concept and having a line out the door, that must've been an amazing moment. And I also think there's something to be said about some of the events you've done, which um they've been really important. Forget about the fact that you're validating what's happening in the industry. You guys did some really interesting stuff last year, uh, 2019, 2020 around social equity um, and around some events uh, for equity candidates. Let's talk a little bit about that because it's really important work. And we're talking today on uh, June 1st, right after, you know, some of the, the, the George Floyd uh, type of, uh, um, you know, sentiment that's going on right now. And you guys have done a lot of great work. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, about what you guys have done in this space. Sure. So about a year ago, we launched our, our social equity program. And the idea was to help candidates who had recently been released from prison from a criminal, like from a um, nonviolent offense, like a cannabis offense, to help them find jobs in the space. Because obviously, it's crazy that people like you and me are sitting here talking about jobs in cannabis and there are folks in prison for cannabis. And so we don't feel like it's right that when they get out of prison, they're excluded from this industry. And so that was where the idea came from to launch the program. And it's been a challenge, right? Because you're dealing with, you have some counties that if you have any type of background on your record, you can't get a job in the industry. And so it's been, I thought like, oh, we're just going to launch this program and boom, we're going to be able to start placing people. And there's been a lot of uh, political hurdles that we've had to jump through, but we are definitely making progress on it. We actually just partnered with Last Prisoners Project, and they're doing a really cool project for when folks get out of jail or prison, they go through a training program. And then after they go through that training program, then those candidates get paired up with us. And we're excited about this because I think one piece of the equation that we were missing last time around is that the the re-entry process. And so while we have a lot of jobs available, I think that the, this training re-entry component is really big in helping find long-term matches. And so that's sort of like an iteration of where we're taking it. But yeah, last year we threw social equity career fairs. I mean, we did a career fair in a jail at the Santa Rita jail and ended up placing several people who were like released within 30 days of our career fair in the jail into jobs in the space. We hosted um, equity events where companies could come out and they could have their equity candidates speak to educate other companies on like best practices. And so, yeah, we did a lot of events and, and we had a bunch planned for this year, but obviously with COVID things have, have slowed down, but it's a super important part of this industry. And I think, like you said, we're talking on June 1st, if every industry would make a small conscious effort, the small things add up. And 
I think people in this industry are very forward thinking about it. I think it's great. And, and I know that you guys had a huge turnout and we know Last Prisoner Project, they're an amazing organization. So it's great to hear you're working with them. And so what does the future like look like for banks? I know, you know, we're, we're, we're amid COVID, um, so much like unrest going on right now. Where do you guys look? What excites you? What are you guys seeing happening in the next, you know, six, 12 months, you know, in, in, for banks? I was one other thing on, on, on social equity, obviously you and I have talked about doing our uh, breakout of Alcatraz, uh, Swim. God, now so I've got to train. Uh, <laughs> yeah, now we got to train. So that's one thing that I'm uh, looking forward to more, more events. But I mean, during COVID, a lot of people put hiring on pause for good reasons. And a lot of companies had to unfortunately lay, lay staff off and downsize staff. And for social distancing purposes, they didn't need as many employees. Right now, what we're starting to see is in June, we're starting to see a, a rebound. So companies are starting to start putting jobs back on the platform, putting gigs back up reopening higher level searches. And so this summer, we're focused on supporting our clients for their rebounds, right? What staff are you looking to bring back? What new roles have come up? And so really right now, we're just hyper-focused on supporting our clients and of course, helping any candidates that we have who have been negatively impacted, like have been um, laid off or furloughed during this time. And so we're in just support mode right now. But I would imagine that as COVID unravels and Hopefully, as a vaccine comes out at some point in next year, and as the world sort of normalizes, there's going to be more states opening up. We're going to be launching a new states with our clients, and uh, we'll continue to build out new features that help our clients make better matches. But I do think a lot of people are just in sort of a, um, a standstill until there's more clarity around um, when there'll be a vaccine. And so it's our job to, to just support our clients during this time while they're in the standstill. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're all in the same boat, just trying to, you know, be supportive of each other in this industry during this, you know, unprecedented time. And then I, I want to close off by asking, you know, since, you know, I've been asking at the end of, at the end of every, you know, podcast you've been doing, you know, as you guys know, I have four daughters and we'd like to talk about, you know, what the highs and the lows of the day are. So if you like look back on your past four years, you know, in the space, like, like what are those highs and what are those lows? Like the puts and takes of the industry and any like um, advice you can give to those people who are looking to get into the industry? I told you about uh, two highs. And so, but, you know, I, all my highs are centered mostly around setting a goal and then hitting the goal with the team, you know, whether it was, hey, this month, you know, whether it was we're going to launch banks gigs in California and then going through the entire process to launch banks gigs in California and then it's the first day a gig worker gets on site and clocks in and then the entire team is at the office at the time we had an office in Santa Monica is at the office in Santa Monica celebrating because it's just so much work then something happens and then there's you know a celebratory moment and you're all in it together and it, you just always feel very proud of the work that, that that banks and the team is doing so all those moments are highs and then lows I mean honestly the, the you know between the kind of panel session it happened that I'm sure a lot of listeners are aware of when, when all the layoffs started, started happening in, in Q4 and, and through Q1 and then rolling right from that into COVID. I mean, it's been, it's been sort of rough. And so I, I would say that my, my low has just been the last managing the challenges of the last six months and figuring out how we can best support our clients during these tough times. So those would be my highs and lows. Yeah. And then just to close, so what would be your one tip, you know, for those people who are considering, you know, entering the cannabis space, whether they be in a new college graduate or, you know, trying to, or making a shift from another industry, you know, what would be like your one tip, like why they should take that leap? I would say 
if you're open to being in the mindset that change is the only constant and there's never going to be two days the same and being flexible to pivot and roll with the punches and just, you know, you have a rough day, you go to bed, you wake up and go on a run and wake up the next day, like new day, let's go hit the gas. And maybe you get beat up again on that day. And then again and again, but then like, you have to be okay with just things not going well and just continuing to like try to run through walls and then eventually something will, will work. And so I just like a lot of the stories from like you, Rosie, and, and other founders in the space, you have a lot of failures in order to find success. And this industry is certainly challenging. And so being okay with it not being a, a cakewalk and a walk in the park, but knowing that the reward, if you can do it, is extremely rewarding. So I would say just like knowing that it's not like other industries, it's very challenging and you have to be okay with constantly getting knocked down and getting back up. Right. I think you make, make a really good point. Like every founder I speak to, like that's a one where the user rewarding. Like while it's so suit, while it's me very hard, very challenging, navigating a brand new industry with tons of regulation and, and lots of, you know, you know, hills and valleys, that it is a really rewarding experience. So I think that's a pretty common sentiment and, and a great way uh, and a great like uh, thoughts in part uh, on listeners. And then lastly, where can we find you um, if people want to get in touch with you? Yeah, you can find banks at banks.com. We, whether you're a candidate or a client, if you're a candidate looking for a job, I we have close to 300 open jobs and gigs up there right now. And if you're a client looking to make a hire, you can go to our website and fill out the client form and we will get in touch with you and, and figure out what you need and make it happen. That's great. Thanks so much, Carson, for joining us today. Thanks, Jason. 